Welcome to our channel. As you take time to listen to God's word today with us, we believe and pray that your faith will be strengthened up each day and we hope that this sermon will be a blessing to you as well as your family. Hey, today is the last sermon of the series Dream Home. Thank you, buddy. Today is the last sermon of the series Dream Home. We started with 1 plus 1 equals 2. We, God you know, taught us about how the importance of being one in a marriage. Oneness in spirit, oneness intellectually, oneness psychologically. How important it is to be together as one. 1 plus 1 equals 2. One. The second message was how to build strong families. How to, then the third one was how to build sacred families. Last week, you heard an amazing sermon called Guard Your Garden. You know, how to uh, face spiritual warfare as families. And I heard testimonies of, of God restoring families and they spiritually, uh, you know, prayerfully overcome some spiritual warfare this week. And we heard great testimonies and we praise God for that. Today is the last sermon. And um, I want to sh- share a picture with you guys. Can the picture come on the screen? This is not the s- slide. Is this the slide? Can, can Kenneth help me with this? All right. How many of you have ever said this statement, this, this is not my problem? Anybody said that? That's not my problem. How many of you have said that's not my problem? Have you heard it in your families quite a lot? Right? That's not my problem. It's not my problem. The sermon slide should have been there, but that's not my problem. I don't know why they didn't put it there. But it's not your problem. But it is now my problem. Because <laughs> I'm stretching out time until the slide comes up. People often say this, and a lot of times, what we do is that we try to impose what we see as a problem, but we don't want to say that. We don't want to take responsibility for it. And we just say, that's not my problem. In families, we cannot say, that's not my problem, because you are one unit as a family. If somebody has a problem, if father has a problem, it's the problem of the entire family, because it's going to affect everybody. But not everybody wants to take responsibility for the problem. So this morning, I want to talk to you in this last sermon that we're going to bring it to close. I want to talk to you about how to resolve conflict in family. Are you ready for this? How to resolve conflict in family. Because many of us, we want a solid, you know, we want to have a solid uh, you know, uh, marriage, we want to have a solid family, we want to keep it sacred, but there are a lot of unresolved things in our family. Can we have that picture on screen, please? I don't have an attitude problem. You have a problem with my attitude, and that's not my problem. Is this making sense? This is the attitude in many families. I don't have an attitude problem. You only have a problem with my attitude, and that's not my problem. That attitude is what they are talking about. (laughs) This is our scenario in most families. 
And we need to resolve and learn to resolve conflict in the most biblical way possible. So the title of my sermon this morning is, That's Not Amen. Let's read together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace... Can we read together? One, two, three, go. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. This is the promise over your family. God has called us to live in peace and with a thankful heart. But many of us have lost peace in families And the reason is because there is so many unresolved conflicts. And the reason we left it unresolved because we have this attitude, it's not my problem. And my prayer this morning is that we will turn our hearts and we will change our heart through God's word and resolve the things that needs to be resolved. We are going to rely on the Holy Spirit for that. How many of you want to rely on the Holy Spirit with me? Amen. There, is, there are things that we cannot resolve by ourselves, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, the reason we have conflict in families is because it is impacted by an unresolved conflict in a marriage. And the reason why you have unresolved conflict in marriage is because you have unresolved conflict within yourself. There are three circles in conflict. Three circles. Write this down. The first is the inner conflict. The second is marriage conflict. The third one is family conflict. Many of us focus on the last one, which is family conflict. And you try to solve conflict in family, but you need to go all the way back to inner conflict first. The reason that we have conflict in our family is because there are unresolved problems in our marriage and unresolved problem in the individual who is married. Are you with me so far? The husband, him himself as a man, there are a lot of in- inner conflicts in him that he has not resolved with God. The woman, the mother, the wife, she has inner conflict in herself that she has not resolved. And she has to do it, and he has to do it with God. Conflict in ourself is constant because there is a, a, a battle between your new creation and your old nature. As a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a man and a woman, you as a person individually, there is an inner conflict that you are fighting every day. And the fight is that, How do I live as a new creation in Christ Jesus? That's what the Bible says. But the old self takes over many times. And there are so many unresolved things from your past, from your sin. Some of you are still living in guilt, even though you're washed by the blood of Jesus, and you have brought that guilt into your marriage and into your family, and that has manifested into conflicts in various ways. But the seed of the problem should be resolved in the heart of the man, in the heart of the woman, and it has to be resolved with God and the work of the Holy Spirit. How can you do that? Paul struggled with this in the Bible. Paul had this problem. He said, I'm constantly fighting against sin and flesh, and my spirit is earning to follow Jesus, but my flesh is always pulled towards sin. 
How can you solve your inner conflict? First, is that you need to depend on God constantly for you to live in the new creation. To live under the grace. Which means that you need to let go of some things and let yourself in the hands of God. You as a person cannot walk and live as a new creation by your own strength. But you need to let yourself be carried in the hands of God. As a man, as a woman, before you are a husband or a, or a wife or a father or a mother, before those responsibilities, you are first a, ch a child of God. Everybody say, I am a child of God. Say that again. You need to resolve things in your life and in your heart before you carry forward into any responsibilities. This means that you need to have very strict spiritual disciplines for yourself. Without spiritual discipline, the inner man, the inner self of your life cannot grow. And if the inner self of your life does not grow, you will find yourself in conflict with God. Amen? Prayer, Bible reading, fasting, worship. These things are one of the most spiritual disciplines that you got to follow. This is why we have seven days of fasting and prayer. Now, we are, going to, we are doing this together as a church. But you need to have at least one day in a week as a discipline where you fast and pray. Not as a father, not as a husband, but you as a man, you as a woman. What are the things that is conflicting in your life against the word of God? Resolve that in the presence of God. Don't try to lead a family, don't try to lead a marriage, don't try to lead a business, don't try to be a young man and a young woman um, trying to follow Jesus without these spiritual disciplines. In order to be a disciple, you need to have discipline. So make sure that you are filled by the Spirit every day and you resolve the inner conflict. When you resolve the inner conflict, you will have better clarity on how to deal your marriage conflicts. That's the second circle of conflict. Many people are unable to resolve conflict in marriage because two people coming together brings a lot of personal things. I as a man would carry some things into the marriage. There's a lot of baggage that's coming. And the woman also brings a lot of baggage. Two people raised in different backgrounds, two people raised in different families, different worldviews, different traditions, different practices, but you're coming together as one. And when you come together as one, you are bringing conflicts as well, not conflicts. Only if you got it, only if you are awake. So when you bring those conflicts, what happens is that you got to allow and rely on the Holy Spirit to work in your lives individually. You pray together, but at the same time have personal time with God. There are some things marriage will not fix. There are some things even the most beautiful woman cannot heal in your life. There are some things that a man with deep pockets or great business or money cannot resolve in your life, my dear child. Only God can do it. Only God can do it. Go to God with that. Go to God with that.
So the first sphere or circle of conflict is inner conflict. The second conflict is marriage conflict. How do you resolve conflict in marriage? Communication. Communication is key when it comes to resolving conflict in marriage. There are three spheres of communication. Do you know that? Within marriage conflict, again, there is three things that you need to understand. Because when it comes to communication, you know, the surprising is, what you say is just 7%, has 7% impact in the entire communication. Did you know that? What you say, the actual words, has only 7% impact into your communication. How you say it, which is your tone, has 23%. Are you ready for the last one? The way you look, that is your body language, communicates 70%. Ephesians 4.29 it says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. When you communicate, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in family, young people, if you're communicating to your father and your mother or your sister and your siblings, please make sure that you are not using any foul language or abusive language. Let everything that you say be good and helpful. If whatever that you're saying is not helpful, it is better to Thank you. I didn't say it. Dilip said it. It's better to zip it than to say it. So that your words will be a word of encouragement to those who hear them. This is why I believe if you are expecting encouragement from church, why are you expecting encouragement from church? Because whatever happens in church has to flow from love, God's word, and kindness, right? But why are you not running your family like we run the church? Ding tong. Right? It has to flow from there, not from... It, it's a two-way communication. What you do in your family is going to reflect in our atmosphere as a church. So young people, if you're communicating to your parents, if you're communicating to your friends, if you're communicating to your friends, whoever you're communicating to, Right? Make sure everything is done in a way that is good and helpful. Even if you do that, encouragingly, you're only communicating how many percent? Seven percent. That does not change. Because what impacts the next is how you say it. Your tone of voice is really important in how you communicate something. Not every time we can have, you know, uh, this great, loving, kind voice. Sometimes you're frustrated. Sometimes your tone changes. Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The tone of God always comes with grace. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to you to trouble you, corrupting many. If you can check your heart, your tone will automatically change. 
A lot of times our tone changes because of an assumption that is made in our mind and we communicate the assumption. So we might say, oh, it's so good to be here. It's so good to have you here. But if, I've, if I had a bitterness in your heart, but where were you for the past two weeks? So what happens when I mix the, my words are saying it's so good to have you here, but my mind has an assumption you didn't come for the past two Sundays. So my tone is like, ah, good to see you here, brother. Just so blunt. Ah, good to see you, good to see you. One thing, okay, come, come. So where does this match? An assumption causes a kind of bitterness in your heart and then it mixes with your tone and you might be saying one thing but your tone is communicating totally another thing. So 23% of your communication is communicated through your tone. So watch your heart. Reflect on your heart. Check. Take time. Put a filter if you need to. And communicate properly. And here comes the 70%. The way you look when you see it. I mean, when you say it. Your body language and your actions communicate 70% of the message that is heard. What is your posture when you say something? And I see many husbands and wives are smiling about this because we experience this a lot in marriage. Because when there is a fight that is picked up, most of the time, the talk about the fight is not about the fight that is happening there. It is about a fight that happened five years ago or even before the birth of Jesus Christ. I don't know. But it's about like, oh, this is how you said like that few years back and you were wearing a checked shirt and you were leaning on the wall there and you were staring at me like a hulk. I will not never forget. I will avenge you with my prayer life. Lord, heal this man. Deliver this man. Pastor, what are you doing in man up? <laughs> Fix my husband. My goodness, if you can't fix him, I can't. <laughs> Only God can. The reason we have such a strong memory is that posture matters. Posture matters. One of the things that um, we learned in, in, in communication, especially when you have a conflict, and, and um, in, in pre-marriage counseling we teach this, is that you know, having an object in your hand when you're in conflict. So it might look silly, but they, uh, you can take anything. You can have a bottle of water or something with you, as long as it's not a sharp object. Right? So whoever is holding the object gets to talk. The other person has to be quiet. And once they're done, they have to pass on that object for that person to talk. Some of you are like, oh, pastor, bad idea. Because that object will come to my head like this. Ah, basic, your turn. They also say, it is good to probably hug a pillow. Both husband and wife don't hug each other. But in your conflict, you hug a pillow and talk because there is, a, there is something in, 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 in embracing psychologically. 
And when you embrace and you talk, your posture changes. You don't come across dominating. You don't come across, you know, as, as somebody who wants to kill the other person, <laughs> right? And, and they give all these techniques. But beyond all these techniques, can I give you something amazing this morning? Reflect Christ's posture in your communication. The posture of Christ was this, humbly hanging on the cross, and he stretched out his hand and he said, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. And his posture was grace. So in a fight, can you stretch out a hand if, if, if your wife is going wild and crazy and she's going on and on and on? Man up, I want to give you a hint. Just stretch out your hands and say, come here, darling. Let's talk. Let's talk here. Just, 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 just come, come here, come here, darling, and then talk. And if your husband is going wild, just go and hug him. I'm coming there, guys, relax. You want my sermon notes? You can preach. Everybody look this side. Sermon is happening here. You want my notes? I'll give you. If your husband is going wild, just, just hold his hand. It'll calm him down. Embrace him. Posture matters. Posture talks about grace. Posture gives you, uh, you know, in a way that you say that, that we are in this together, not against each other. The Bible must be the final authority in marriage. The problem that many couples face is the discussion is not about what is right, the discussion is always about who is right. That's the problem. If you want to solve conflict in marriage, let me say something to you. This is not about what is right. I mean, it's not about who is right. It's about what is right. Many of us are unable to get this. Let me explain this to you a little bit more. Many of us continue to fight Every day in our lives because we are always fighting for who is right and not fighting for what is right. And if you want to resolve conflict in marriage, fight for what is right because your what comes from the word of God. Can you say amen? And if the word of God is at the center of your relationship, then you will always fight for what is right. And when you stop fighting for who is right, then automatically you start resolving conflict. Because when you fight for who, what, for who is right, what happens is that you'll always have a winner and a loser. And you want to make sure that you are the winner and the other person is the loser. And you cannot solve a marriage conflict that way. So don't fight for who is right. Because that brings down to who won the fight? But if you can sit together, pray together, and talk about what is the right thing that we should do. Because God's word should be the final authority in your marriage. You might have an opinion about finance. You might have an opinion about your child. You might have an opinion about what needs to be done in the future. You might have an opinion about your schedule for the week. You might have an opinion about decisions that is made for your children, their education, things like that. All of it, do what is right based on the word. 
Otherwise, you will be running and making decision out of worry and not out of firm foundation. When you schedule your life out of worry, it leads to more problems. Amen? This brings me to the last sphere, which is family conflict. First is inner conflict. Second is marriage conflict. And the final one is family conflict. In a family, teach your children to resolve their problems. Resolve it together as a family. Resolve it together as husband and wife with your children. If you got financial issues going on, sit together and resolve as a family. Don't make it a point that only your children see only the good things that you're doing for them while you're piling up loan for them. Hey, I'm spending so much money for you. Only God knows. Yeah, you're also creating a lot of debt for them. God knows that, but we want to show them that we are doing the best for them. But can you come together as a family, talk about the strengths and the weakness of the family, and teach them how you're going to resolve it as a family? Amen? So that they understand, they mature, they know the why behind the what. We don't communicate the why. We always say, this is what we are going to do now. Hereafter, we are all going to walk. No more vehicles for us. We are going to do this. We are going to do that. But hey, communicate the why. Why did that happen? Why is that decision made? Do it together as a family. Your kid might be 6 years old or 5 years old or 10 years old or 18 years old. Doesn't matter. Communicate to them. They will understand. Because when you communicate, you do it with love. When you communicate, you are saying... Hey, we are making this decision as a family because this is what God's word says and we are all going to be together in this. Amen? Four steps to solve conflict in a family. Number one, sit together and as a family determine what is righteous. Determine what is righteous. As a family, how are you going to follow righteousness? This takes me to the second point because if you don't determine what is righteous, you will not know what is unrighteous that is happening in your family. Not all the decisions that we are making are righteous decisions. Any decision that is unbiblical is an unrighteous decision. Whether it's finance, whether it's education, whether it's future, whether it's your daily living, whether it's ministry, whatever that you are doing, make sure that you are making righteous decision for your family and do it together. Determine what is righteous. This will help you to also determine what is unrighteous. When you determine what is unrighteous, move to step number three, pray for repentance. The reason why unrighteousness happened in the family is because somebody made a wrong decision. It can be the father, it can be the mother, it can be the children. Whoever that is, lead them to repentance. If the father has to repent in front of the family, the father has to take responsibility and say, my son, my daughter, my dear wife, I made a bad financial decision. I need to repent from that. Can we pray together? That takes a lot of guts and that shows that you are a godly, Bible-centered man. Hello? Young people, if you have made mistakes, resolve it with God 
Bring your family together, sit with them and tell them the things that you did that was not pleasing to God and also repent in front of them and tell them that you have made a decision not to do that again and I need your prayer to continue to walk in righteousness. Resolve it, repent with your family. Wow, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. But that's the right thing. Amen? We got to do it. And the step four, if you do, if you act on repentance, that means it will lead you to step four. Someone must forgive. You expect forgiveness without repentance, it's not going to be given to you. But if you lead your family into repentance... Or if you yourself lead yourself into repentance, then someone must forgive. If you have problems in your family, and if your parents made some bad decisions in the past, please stop saying or, or blaming your family. It is time to forgive and let go. I pray in Jesus' name, that God gives you a spirit of forgiveness and let go of it. Let go of it. Let go of it. I wish my parents did that for me. Yes, great wish, but they did not do it. You've moved on. You're 60 years old now. They're still talking about it. I know it's real. If you don't forgive and let go, what you're doing is you are committing sin of unforgiveness, which means that you have a stubborn heart and you have caused bitterness in your heart and that God is watching. That is unrighteous in your part. And God wants to heal you from that. God wants to deliver you from that. Because you cannot move on, you cannot receive wholesome blessing in your life when you have been Forgiven and let go of. Are you with me? Are you with me? If there's repentance or no repentance, can you give a heart of forgiveness towards that person? Maybe that person is long gone. Or maybe they are still in your life and doing the same mistake. Pray for their repentance, but you have a forgiving attitude. Don't even refer back to what they have done. But give credit to God and say, even if that has happened, my God has changed my life. My heavenly father, because earthly parents, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. Children, they're not perfect. Friends, they're not perfect. Church, they're not per perfect. Pastors, we are not perfect. Church leaders, they're not perfect. Everybody needs repentance and everybody needs forgiveness. Repent, forgive, let go because that will solve 90% of conflict that you have in yourself, that you have in marriage, that you have in families. Hebrews 12:14 it says, working at living work at living in peace with everyone. We got to work at living in Peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see 
God. Hey, do you want to see the Lord in your life? Do you want to see the hand of God in your family? Do you want to see God move supernaturally? Do you want God to move in your marriage, in your, in your jobs, in your career? You want to see God? Do you want to see God in that? Yes? Let's work at being in peace with everyone. Let's work at living a holy life. And take intentional decisions and create spiritual disciplines that will help you to go forward. Stop saying that it's not my problem. But start solving the conflict in order to grow healthy families. Shall we stand together, church? Godson, work at living in peace with everyone. As we bring this series to a close, let's all stand together, church. Let's all stand. As we bring this series to a close, let's pray, God, that you will empower me. Can you lift your hands and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you right now? Because we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. As the band joins with me on stage, I just want to remind you and give a one final verse that is a promise over your family. It's from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and everything was created for Him. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. Christ is also head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who raise from the dead. So He is first in everything. If Christ is the head of the church, let me tell you something. Christ is the head of your life also. Christ is the head of your family. Christ is the head of your future. Christ is the head of your marriage. Christ is the head of your career. Christ is supreme over everything in your life. Verse 17, it says, He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who raised from the dead. Verse 17, can we have it on the screen? He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together and He holds you together. Can you look at the person who is standing next to you, look at them and tell them, my God holds my life together. Can you look at them again and tell them, my God holds my family together. Can you look at them again and tell them with a big smile, our God holds this church together. Amen. God holds it all together. Thank you for listening to our sermon. We hope that this sermon was a blessing for you as well as your family. If you would like to support our ministry, you can do so by visiting kingcitychurch.org forward slash give. 
And we will meet you next week with another inspiring sermon. God bless you.